host, Cynthia Dill. It's Sunday, January 29th, 2023. Happy New Year. Welcome back. I haven't had a podcast since November, and it's good to be back. The reason why I was in radio silence is because the last podcast on November 3rd uh, was followed by a jury selection in a case you might have heard about, George Loader versus the Maine Department of Public Safety. We picked a trial picked a jury rather in early November and then tried the case over the course of five days in federal court and it was a great experience and I think I might do a podcast on that trial um, just to talk about a little bit in depth because it was very interesting at least probably to nerdy lawyer like people Uh, just fast fascinating experience great outcome great client um, and just settled for $450,000 in satisfaction of the judgment. So the jury returned a verdict for George Loader for $300,000, finding that he had been retaliated against in violation of Maine's Whistleblower Protection Act for reporting to the state police and others that he believed the surveillance and record data keeping, collection, maintenance, and... um, you know, use of information about private citizens was unlawful. And so it was a big victory. The jury believed him because it ended up being, to a certain extent, a credibility contest. And and that was exciting. But until we got that check, it was really incumbent upon me to keep all my very controversial opinions to myself. <laughs> and so I, I'm back, and it, it is good to be back. And this podcast is going to be about housing. Because as you know, it's still an issue that is discussed everywhere in all uh, levels of of government and American life at the national level, at the state level, and at the local level. People are grappling with the housing challenge. Uh, some people are living quite large in a very good housing market. Others are struggling. Obviously, um, it's an issue that I have been involved in. And so at first... You might have seen that my state representative, Rebecca Millett, uh, sponsored a bill to throw, I think, $100 million a year at Maine state housing and see, you know, to see where it sticks and in an an effort to expand affordable housing opportunities. So she didn't ask me my opinion about what to do with that money, but, um, but here it is. I think the uh, the main state housing authority, first of all, I don't think it, there's a real shortage of public funds. It, to me, the issue isn't that there's not available public money. So just throwing money at, at the main housing authority isn't going to actually um, solve some of the problems some of the, and, and you know get rid of some of the obstacles. And I'll just give you an example. Um, with the issue of mobile homes, now we have a situation in Maine where almost 10% of households live in mobile homes. The mobile home market has exploded over the last year or so. Um, unlike the housing market that had been very hot, the housing market has actually um, cooled off because of um, higher interest rates. Um, there's Everyone knows there's a housing um, crisis um, for some. Um, that, and it's, it's not just because of out-of-control rents. It's because a manufacturing and labor shortage. It's because of higher interest rates. It's there's a lot of reasons that you know go into the housing 
dilemma for facing communities. Um, but mobile homes is a solution and it's an efficient and affordable solution. But main housing currently has programs that look very good on paper, very glossy to help people replace their old mobile homes. If you have a pre-1970 mobile home, it's essentially obsolete. It's, it's unsafe. I know because I have a client who is desperately trying to get a new one and can't. And the reason why she can't is because lenders don't lend to mobile home owners uh, who don't own the real estate on which the mobile home is going to be placed. And let's face it, you know, most people who are trying to get a mobile home are not trying to put it on a nice piece of property that they own. They're, if they had a nice piece of property, the chances are they would probably be getting a different type of home. So I think most people who have a mobile home live in a mobile home park. And my client is an example. She lives at the Charter Oaks Mobile Home Park. It's a cooperative. It got a lot of press. The Grow Smart Maine gave the cooperative an award. You know, it's 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 totally groovy. It, you know, it's the it's a rock community, resident-owned community. They uh, used funding from the Genesis Fund. Now they have a functioning board. It's just such a great idea to provide you know a, a community a way to um, invest in their in and own. Um, the park and 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 have a membership but people can't get loans and so 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 there's there's a problem there's a real need so this money that is going to go or that the main state housing authority already has in my view what needs to be done at the state level is to one idea is just to have main state housing authority give micro loans to borrowers directly instead of just trying to go through the banks because the banks just are not going to make these loans. I've I can attest that I have scorched the earth looking for financing for someone who is the poster child in terms of deserving of affordable housing. She is a legal immigrant single mother who works two jobs and is not low income, but she's not high income. She makes a living and and earns a living and wants to invest in new housing because the mobile home she lives in currently, uh, for reasons that are not her fault, um, is absolutely dilapidated and obsolete and unsafe. And the door can't close and so the heat escapes. And more importantly, there's a tremendous opportunity because two lots down in this cooperative community, there's a vacant lot uh, that's been uh, cleared. There's, There's a utility hookup uh, septic it's just ready to have a new mobile home added to the lot and therefore you know contribute to the community it's it's a community of 40 homes so this and um and my client can afford she saved substantially to have a a down payment she is you know i don't know her her credit isn't perfect but of course credit isn't always perfect in these instances with people who are in this bracket, but she has a, a loan that she makes. She pays her dues and rent. She pays all her bills on time. And um, if her credit is at all low, it's because of medical debt. And that's an unfortunate reality for a lot of people. And she's working on it, but she can afford this loan and there's no loans available. So what Maine Housing has to do, given what the Bangor Daily News has reported that you know there's been this substantial increase in mobile home ownership given that these cooperatives are being, you know, applauded as a, an alternative affordable housing for low and moderate income, which I also applaud. I think it's great, but there has to be the financing piece or, or people are stuck. And, and that's, and that's 
that's a problem that needs to be addressed because if you look at the Maine Housing Authority annual report, you'll see that unlike a lot of the other big numbers, the number of homeowners that used this mobile home replacement program was 14. Okay, that's not a lot. And and that's because um, no banks will make loans uh, to mobile home owners on you know, on land that's either owned by a trailer park or owned by a cooperative, which is most of the mobile homes. So we need to fix that. And a fix would be for Maine Housing to just make these microloans. Uh, and I think Maine Housing has gotten into some pretty sophisticated transactions, and I guess that's all good. But there's a real focus on generating these big projects with these big, sexy uh, financing packages. And they're a lot of, you know, they're generating a lot of fees origin fees, that sort of thing. But we're not meeting the, the needs of the people of, of Maine. Uh, you know, people in the rural areas of the, of the state, in suburban areas of the state, don't want big apartment buildings. They want, you know, the, the personal space and, um, and just quality of life to live, you know, in, in, a, in a place that they can call their own. And so I, I hope that, um, I hope that Governor Mills and the Select Housing Committee, I plan to present the issue, and I'm, I mean, I'm not just making this up. I'm where I, I have witnesses who will attest to this problem, that um, this blockage, that we can't get needed financing that's, that should be readily available to well-deserving borrowers to implement a program that everybody wants, and that is to replace the really old housing stock with new energy-efficient um, just decent, safe housing uh, for families, and that's what we—that's what we need. And so um, that's the state level. And the cooperative issue is interesting for me at the local level, because in Cape Elizabeth, as some of you know, um, again my state representative Rebecca Millet, she didn't—I guess she was so busy last session working on her bill to require that all affordable housing projects, all projects that are funded by the Maine Housing Authority beginning in 2024 have to have, um, you know, be energy efficient and sustainable. And I think it says that they can't, it can't use fossil fuels, no fossil fuels after 2024. So you can't, I guess, have a gas stove. Um, Oh, well. So she didn't take a position, though, in the local issue. We have a local issue in Cape Elizabeth in the election that took place in 20. 22 in November, November 7th or 8th, uh, there was a petition that had been circulated to get a referendum question on the ballot. And the, for the first time in Cape history, I believe, the uh, voters overturned a zoning amendment passed by the town council. And um, and this is after waiting a year. The, the petition had successfully collected the requisite number of signatures a year prior to November 2022. And the reasoning for waiting a year was that November would bring the most people to the issue and we would hear from, you know, the greatest number of voices in Cape Elizabeth weighing on this important issue of whether or not we wanted big apartment buildings in the middle of town. (laughs) Um, And we did weigh in and the voters said, no, we don't, and overturned the amendment. And so now what's happening, unfortunately, is another controversial zoning amendment is being floated by the town council and they I'll take them for their word that in in their view the proponents of this amendment believe that it's necessary to comply with 
the state law that was passed last year, LD 2003. I just completely disagree. I think it's over the top what they're proposing to do. I think if we did nothing and just allowed the, you know, the effective date for LD 2003 to come and go, we would have to meet the affordable housing density and other requirements of the law. So I'm hoping that what the town council is planning to do with this amendment can just be tabled for like a year you know I just wait to do something major a major rewrite of the Cape Elizabeth zoning ordinance because it's not necessary and because the rewrite just looks like a back end around to the same idea that the that the voters of Cape Elizabeth just came out and voted against we, because the amendments suggest that in all residential neighborhoods these big apartment buildings will be allowed and, and and that they're required almost that's the implication is that we have to do this under LD 2003 and I just I just disagree and they do it that to get in the weeds the proposal is to substitute the term multiplex with multifamily and multiplex housing in my opinion is different it's defined in our zoning ordinance as two dwelling units attached and the examples of multiplex housing in town are two attached dwelling units, meaning there's a front door, and uh, to every to every unit that, that that it's more like a colonial village right here in Cape Elizabeth is the example of multiplex housing that I think is a really good model. I think it's a good design for Cape Elizabeth. It looks like the other housing. It fits in with the environment, and most importantly, it's suitable for families because front doors as opposed to an apartment building that ha where there's one entrance and then you know apartments if you live in an apartment building it, in a city it's great there's security there's there's a lot of really good reasons lack of space a lot of a lot of good reasons to have these kinds of buildings in cities and and in downtown Cape Elizabeth okay where i live i'm saying that that's a suitable place for apartments but in residential neighborhoods uh, what I think is better and, and and what a majority of Cape Elizabeth, I believe, think is better is to have affordable housing that looks like the other housing, which means there's front doors so that you can go trick-or-treating if you're a kid. Okay, if you're a kid in Cape Elizabeth, it means something to, to have a front door where your friends can come and knock and play. It means something as a family. If if people who are out, you know, campaigning and, and collecting, you know, signatures or, or donations or selling Girl Scout cookies, if you can be a part of the community, if you can sit out on the stoop and watch the community around you, that's that's important. And so there's nothing wrong with wanting multiplex housing and there's nothing to prevent multiplex housing from being affordable to low and moderate income people. So that's where we're at is there's there's an attempt to amend the zoning ordinance to substitute multiplex with multifamily. And the concern by people who don't want to do it is that it, it opens the door to large apartment buildings in residential neighborhoods, and and that's not what we want. <laughs> um, so I'm hoping that the I just hope that they just put that off for a little bit. Like, we had to wait a year to, to vote. This seems like, it, I just don't see why we would uh, rush in to do this when we don't really know how the law is going to work, and it's just so divisive. So what I propose, and what I'm going to continue working on, and what I hope to encourage all Cape Elizabeth people to continue considering and supporting, is community housing, because a lot has 
happened in in this world that I think even further supports the idea of community housing. Community housing is the concept in Cape Elizabeth of using the land left by the Jordans, you know, after the Revolutionary War. Uh, Thomas Jordan left the land that's north of the transfer station on Spurwink. It's uh, right across the river from Colonial Village. Now, Colonial Village is an example, an excellent example of a neighborhood of affordable homes in Cape Elizabeth for low and moderate income families. It includes rentals and ownership, and it is multiplex housing, and it's beautiful. Everyone has their front door. It just It's a lovely way to live in Cape Elizabeth. There's access to the outdoors. People can garden, have bikes. Um, it, so right across the river from Colonial Village, the town owns land and what we could do what I urge the town council to do because I think it can get the votes to pass and I don't think it'll generate opposition because I've been really supporting this idea and talking to so many people and almost 10% of the town signed on to it so the idea would just be to simply create the definition of community housing which is multiplex housing on town-owned land for families with low and or moderate income and and then we put out an RFP. You know, I would love the idea of Skip Murray um, getting, you know, if he submits the best bid and can give us an estimate of what it would take to build out infrastructure for a small neighborhood, you know, a, a maybe, you know, the phase one of, of an idea and um, put out an RFP to developers to see what the costs, what the projects, could look like and and the reason why people can can get their you know get behind this idea is because they can in their minds imagine what it looks like because they just have to look across the river at colonial village and think oh okay so it's going to be sort of like that but modern and it's not going to be as big in the beginning and 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 so i'm hoping that the community housing idea that i've presented to the housing diversity committee i hope they recommend it i don't you know i Personally, I just I don't I wouldn't wait though for that committee. I, I would like the town council just to to just do it. I mean, I I think that there's a legitimate basis for putting it on an agenda since the charter says there an, a citizen can request an amendment, and this is an amendment that has a track record. Like there's statistics. We we know how many people signed on to the idea. So um, I'm hoping that this moves forward. And the reason why it's it's more, I think, doable now as well is because, first of all, we've had the vote on Dunham Court, so that's over with. That's no longer clouding the landscape in terms of the future. What the, what's the future going to look like? Well, the, what the future might look like for this particular parcel, this is the only area that I'm talking about, is, is this area of land north of the transfer station on the you know side of Spurwink, um, that Colonial Village is on, just right across the Forward River. So the ownership model of cooperatives is sort of back in play. There's been a movement of sorts to, you know, look at and implement housing cooperatives. So wouldn't the idea of the town owning the land and having a cooperative ownership model for, you know, this project? and you know, I, I, I don't know. I think it's it's an idea. It it has legs, and um, I think we're 
where Cape Elizabeth stands now is, you know, we've got our representative who's, you know, working on the issue, um, doing a little bit differently than I would. Okay, I'm not so into requiring all new housing to have no fossil fuels. I just, to me, that's, it just adds a lot of expense and I'm not a believer that we need to dictate those things. At, you know, I, so I, I don't think I, whatever, but it's the law, there's nothing I can do about it. <laughs> but she's working, she's trying to um, get resources to the Maine State Housing Authority. I support that, but to the extent that she needs an idea, I hope that her and the Housing Select Committee and Governor Mills and everyone else involved considers this mobile home microloan idea because there, or so, quickly, quickly addresses a major obstacle and um, in housing that is, you know, a lot of people want, a lot of people can afford, and they just can't get it because of this problem of no financing on um, leased or land owned by a co-op. So, well, it's been nice being back on the air with you. I appreciate a follow. I would appreciate if you would rate the podcast. Uh, and I'd love to hear your comments. And until next time, this is Cynthia Dill signing off. Take care.